we are in a series through the Sermon on the Mount, with which is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And today, we are going to be looking at just a few verses in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. I'm going to read those verses out loud. You can follow along in your copy of the Bible. Matthew chapter 5, starting to read in verse 33. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it's the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. We've noted in our study thus far in the Sermon on the Mount that in this sermon, Jesus is giving us pictures of what it looks like to be right with God. We saw in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17, Jesus saying, I didn't come to abolish the law or do away with the law. I came to bring it to fulfillment. And by that, Jesus meant that the entire Old Testament, the prophets, the, the law, the entire Old Testament points to the person of Jesus. And if the law points to the person of Jesus, he has the authority to tell us the true intent of the law. And what's been happening is the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, the scribes, the rabbis, have been misunderstanding the law. And so Jesus gives us six examples in Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 21, down through the end of the chapter, six examples of how the religious leaders have been misunderstanding the Old Testament law. See, they have been thinking that as long as they are not committing external acts of sin, that they're good with God. But Jesus is going to show them that sin is more than just external acts. Sin goes to the very core of our being. Sin is actually a matter of the heart. So to show these six examples, Jesus uses a common formula of words. And it sounds something like this. You have heard that it was said. But I tell you, he started out of verses 21 through 26, talking about the sixth commandment from Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, you shall not commit murder. And Jesus said, pointing out the misconception on the part of the religious leaders that murder is more than just taking a knife and thrusting it through the heart of someone if you are holding ill will toward a a fellow disciple you are just as guilty of murder 
as the person who thrust that knife. He then moves on in verses 27 through 30 to talk about the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. And Jesus' point is, you are misunderstanding the law if you think that sin only comes in the external act of adultery. No, if a person is looking at a member of the opposite sex with eyes of lust, they're already committing adultery in their heart. They are just as guilty before the Lord as the person who actually commits the act of adultery. Last week in verses 31 and 32, Jesus pointed out the low view of marriage that the Pharisees and the religious leaders had. They think that as long as they conform with the additions that they have laid next to the law, that they can be good with God and basically divorce the spouse of their youth for a number of causes and still be right with God. And Jesus' point was, God designed marriage to be for life. And you're treating treating it as if it's trivial. Well, today as we come to verses 33 through 37, Jesus once again gives us a picture of what it looks like to be right with God. And he's going to show us that those who are right with God, true disciples, speak truth. And Jesus is going to talk about truthfulness in the lives of his disciples. In the fall of 1982, I came to a decision. I decided that I wanted to marry the girl that I was dating. So I went to her dad and I said, Mr. Friesen, uh, can we talk? I want to marry your daughter. So he said, come with me. He made it extremely painful. We got in his car. We drove for a while. He parked. And for the next, it felt like two hours, but it was more like an hour. He went through the entire life history of Barbara from beginning up to the point current with great detail. And I think he enjoyed watching the, the, the sweat run off the side of my face and he just elongated the story. It was hard. Finally, he said, yes, you may marry our daughter. And I left their place and within a matter of days, bought the ring. Now, those of you who know me well know that I have opinions. I'm kind of an opinionated person. And please don't take offense at this, but I think real men don't take the girl that they want to marry ring shopping. No. Act like a man. Go buy that ring yourself. 
pick it out. It's your gift to her. Do a good job, but pick out that ring. Do it without fear. Conquer this thing. So that's what I did. I think she liked it. Now, the ring that I picked out has had, uh, they call it a crown. It's like the prongs that come up and hold the diamond in place. And this one had a tall crown. I didn't really understand why it had that at the beginning. But the more I grew in my skills fishing, the more I realized why. Every fisherman knows when you're going to get your pitcher taken with your fish, you hold the fish away from your body. Because it makes the fish look a lot bigger than it is. You say, whoa, that's a nice fish. Yeah, I took a good picture, didn't it? It really was only this big. But when I hold it out away from me, it looks really big. And that's what they did with my wife's diamond. The problem with having that tall crown is she tended to hit it on things. So we were in a store one day right after I'd given it to her. And we were walking through the store. And she accidentally bumped up against like a display. And the diamond fell out. She knew it fell out, which was good, but it fell out. Now, it wasn't, in today's world, a really expensive diamond. But to me, it was. Now, I didn't do like my my buddy in college who sold his car in order to buy an engagement ring. And then subsequently, I had to give him a ride to work for the next year. I didn't do that. But I stretched myself, and I was fearful. This is precious. This is costly. And it's hard to find because it landed upside down, and it wasn't nice and sparkly from the bottom. And we looked, and we looked, and we looked. And we finally found it. A missing jewel. Precious. And hard to find. And you know what a missing jewel is today? Something that's precious. Valuable. And in today's world, really hard to find. Truthfulness. Truthfulness. To find someone that actually is speaking truth. My wife works in a public school. All day long she has adults lying to her on the phone. Lying to her in person. All day long. And she knows they're lying. Covering up for their kid. Or for whatever other reason. We look around us today and we wonder, does anybody speak the truth? Well, Jesus here in verses 33 through 37 is going to make the point that his disciples demonstrate that they are true disciples by speaking the truth, by, by, by showing that they are deeply rooted in the person of Jesus Christ by simply always speaking 
the truth. But unfortunately, in Jesus' day, that wasn't happening. And it definitely wasn't happening in the lives of Israel's religious leaders. You see, they are misunderstanding the Old Testament law. So we're going to see as this section opens in verses 33 through 36 that that Jesus is going to prohibit oath-making. Now, we don't really use oath-making that much anymore. We don't say to a friend, I will do this, I promise this on my grandmother's grave, and if it doesn't happen, may God curse me. We don't do that very much. It's not commonplace. But in Jesus' day, it was very common. And even though we don't do that very much today, what Jesus has to say to us today, we need. It's applicable to us today. And Jesus is going to say, if you can't make an oath and do it, don't make an oath. And so we see in verses 33 through 36 that Jesus prohibits making oaths. As a way of disguising lies and deceit. Notice with me verse 33. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. Now, even though the New American Standard has that in all caps, which normally says that's a quote, from a specific passage in the Old Testament, most likely here Jesus is making this statement as a summary statement overviewing several Old Testament passages. In my Bible, in my center column, I have uh, a reference back to that verse showing several of those passages. Passages like Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12, Numbers chapter 30 verse 2, Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 11, chapter 6 verse 13, chapter 23 verses 21 through 23, all talk about oath making in the Old Testament. And here Jesus is summarizing those verses and says, you know what the Old Testament says. You've heard that the Old Testament says you shall not make false vows but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all. In other words, what Jesus is going to say is, if you can't say something true underneath the banner of a vow, don't make a vow at all. What's happening is the religious leaders of the day are misappropriating an Old Testament verse. If you would keep your finger in Matthew chapter 5 and go to Leviticus chapter 19 verse 12. It's one of the verses I mentioned earlier. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 12. I'm going to read it out loud. Leviticus 19:12 says this. You shall not swear falsely By my name, so as to profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. So here's what Israel's rulers were doing. They're looking at Leviticus 19.12, 
and saying, okay, this verse clearly says we cannot use the name of the Lord in a vow and not fulfill it. So here's what we do. We make a vow and don't use the name of the Lord in it. We can do whatever we want. That's what they're thinking. We can make a vow and say, I swear by the heavens. I swear by the earth. I swear by Jerusalem. I swear by my own head that I will do this. And if it doesn't happen, may God curse me. And as long as they don't say, I swear by the Lord himself. As long as they don't say that, they don't have to honor what they said. And they are actually feeling like they are still right with God, even though they purposefully, willfully are not being truthful. We see an example of this in verses 34 through 36. But I say to you, may make no oath at all, either by heaven for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it's the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king, nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. What they're doing is purposefully claiming that they are making this oath by the earth or the heaven or, or, or Jerusalem, knowing that they are not obligating themselves to speak truth at all. But Jesus' point is, the Lord is the Lord of the heaven and the, and the earth and Jerusalem. Even your head, he's in control of it all. You are speaking falsehood. It's better not to make an oath at all than to make an oath knowing that you're not going to honor it. There's a compilation of Old Testament writings called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah is really the oral law. So you have the Mosaic law, the law recorded by by Moses in the Old Testament. Well, over the years, rabbis, teachers of the law said, okay, this is what this really means. And they extrapolate it. They, they broaden it. They add more restrictions. And that extra oral law, by the time of Jesus' day, it carries just as much weight with it as the actual law. Well, there's actually a section in the Mishnah that gives the regulations for making a vow. It gets so specific, it says that if you make a vow... By heaven, it's not binding. But if you make a vow toward heaven, then you have to do it. That's how particular they have become. Why would they do all of this? To have a way to purposefully make people think that you're speaking truth, knowing that you're not. And Jesus is calling his disciples to a missing jewel. To something that's hard to find today. It's hard to find in his day. For his disciples to actually, simply, 
always speak the truth. About a year ago, I decided, about a year this time, I decided I need a baseball team. I mean, I've had a a, a basketball team. I've had a football team. I've been a lifelong Cowboys fan. I don't have a baseball team. I never have. And so I decided I just need to choose a team. So I thought, it's got to be a team in Chicago because I love going to Chicago. We go at least once a year. I have to get my big city fix. So it has to be a Chicago team. And so I started, whenever I make a decision, it begins with research. So I started doing research. And I we have some, a few White Sox fans here at Faith Bible Church. And I, I asked them for input. And I and I asked the majority Cubs fans for input. And, and I was getting lots of input. I was even getting comparisons between which ball club has the best food at their at their home stadiums. And there's quite a lot of disagreement about that. Well, I decided to be a Cubs fan. And the reason why I decided to be a Cubs fan is two things. One, Wrigley is just so cool. I mean, to have a scoreboard that still has real people standing behind it, changing the numbers in 100 degree heat. How cool is that? And the ivy, just the historicity of Wrigley. That was big to me. The other thing is, again, I have opinions. These American League pitchers, what a bunch of weenies. Step up to the plate and hit that baseball. Be men. Don't be just, oh, I'm going to have a designated hitter. I didn't like that at all. So I knew I had to be a Cubs fan because... Their pitchers are real men. And they have a cool scoreboard. Well, once I decided to cheer for the Cubs, then I started studying the players, and I really grew to like Ben Zobrist. He is a awesome guy. He's a very committed Christian. He married a pastor's daughter from the Evangelical Free Church down in Iowa City. Just a top-drawer guy. And so... I decided I wanted to get a Ben Zobris jersey, an official Ben Zobris jersey. Well, a buddy of mine found one, a link to one, that was really reasonably priced. I mean, these things are off the hook. I mean, they're really expensive, like 140 bucks. I didn't want to spend that kind of money, but my buddy found one for like 39 bucks. Sends me the link. I'm excited. I clicked on the link. Sure enough, $39. I ordered it. And soon as I placed my order, I realized I had been scammed. One of my credit cards was reject or rejected the site. So like in a person who's not initiated to today's world, a.k.a. a dummy, I took out my second credit card And uh, that went through. I ended up having to cancel both of my credit cards. So what I did then, I have three computer computer monitors on my desk, just for reasons like this. So I brought up the Cubs official website. Then I brought up the website that I was ordering off of, side by side. They look exactly the same, except in the URL. And the one that I ordered was a couple of extra letters. And then I started studying, compare this to compare this, compare this to compare this. And I noticed that the links 
to go to other websites weren't active on the fake website. You see, I'd been scammed. They made it look exactly like the official Cubs website. But it wasn't. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. They made it look like everything was up and up. I swear by Jerusalem that I will do what I say that I'm going to do. And if it doesn't happen, may God curse me. All the while knowing they had no intention of doing it. And all the while feeling like they were good with God. Because they did not violate Leviticus 19.12. Wordsmithing. You know, we don't take vows today like that. But in our culture today, right here in America, truth is a missing jewel. It's a missing jewel. People speaking partial truths to lead people to a conclusion that isn't really real. Or maybe making a commitment knowing that you have no intention or I have no intention of fulfilling that commitment, but we're just in an awkward place and we got to get out of it. Or so carefully wordsmithing a statement that in a very precise way we're speaking truth, but we know good and well that the person who's hearing our words is not interpreting it as finely as what we are saying. And Jesus here is calling his disciples. You want to live out righteousness? You want to show people that you are in right relationship with God the Father? Speak truth. Jesus comes to the final point in verse 37. And in verse 37, he's basically going to say that a disciple's character should be so true that no one would even see the need for you to make an oath. That the disciples' relationship with the person of Jesus Christ should be so grounded and so evident in the disciples' everyday life that truthfulness is just expected. Look what he says. But let your statement... Be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. The NESB, the New American Standard, is a little wooden in how they translated this. I like what the English Standard Version did with this verse. I think it brings out the, the meaning of the verse. They simply said, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You see, a disciple of Jesus should have their character so rooted in the person of Jesus Christ that we don't even have to use a vow. 
When we make a statement, people know that we're speaking truth. I'm friends with a man who was in the NFL for 12 years. He was a Pro Bowl middle linebacker for the Cincinnati Bengals, a graduate of university or attended the University of Minnesota and the University of North Dakota. Played in Super Bowl 16 when the Bengals barely lost to the San Francisco 49ers. Jim LeClaire is my friend. I helped him move at least three times. Only a friend would do that. He gave me one day a pair of his game socks. It kind of hurt because they were the socks that he wore when the Bengals beat the Dallas Cowboys. He had fun giving me those. I still have them in my sock drawer with his handwritten note. These are the socks I wore to beat the Cowboys. We played tennis together in the evenings. He's my neighbor. We just lived a couple of doors apart from each other. Well, one evening, the Fargo, North Dakota news media reported a so-called, and they actually used, like, it's been reported to us that Jim LeClaire did not act ethically in this particular story. And I just knew that that was not true. And I got, as soon as I heard it, I got on the phone, I called the station, I asked for the person who reported it, and I said, you are wrong. Jim LeClaire did not do this. He's above reproach in this. You need to get go back and get your facts straight. And later on, they recanted. I didn't even have to call Jim. Because Jim's relationship with the person of Jesus Christ is so grounded. I knew that he would be consistent with his relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. I knew that he did not do what they publicly accused him of doing. And Jesus here in this verse is saying that our walk, our, our, our discipleship, our following after Jesus... Our life should be enough that we don't even need a vow. Our yes should be good enough. Our no should be good enough. The Apostle Paul in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 was being questioned by the Corinthian church. They were accusing him of not being upright or truthful with them because he said, I'm going to come to you and then was delayed. Here's what Paul said back to them in verse 15 of chapter 1. In this confidence, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing, that is, to pass your way into Macedonia, and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what purpose do I purpose according to the flesh so that with me there will be yes? Yes and no, no at the same time. But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in him. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. 
You see, Paul was saying, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ himself is truth. He's not both yes and no. He's only yes or no. He's truth. And in Him, we preached Him to you. And Paul's point is he is so deeply rooted in the person of Jesus Christ that his life characterizes Christ's life and his life is not characterized by not being truthful. And here Jesus calls to his disciples. And he calls to his disciples, he calls to us. And he calls to us as the community of Christ and says, you want to show that you're in right relationship with God? Always speak truth. Because truth in today's world It's a missing jewel. We look around us and 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 start to question, does anybody say the truth anymore? We watch the nightly news and sure question that. It's a missing jewel. It's precious. It's valuable. It's hard to find. But it shouldn't be hard to find in the life of a true disciple of the person of Jesus Christ. It should be normal. Jesus calls his disciples to always speak truth. You might be here today and you're not sure if you are right with God or not. I would encourage you... We have a, one of our leaders here at Faith Bible Church, one of our elders, will be back right behind you in a prayer room. We have some material. You could just go back and say, hey, can I have some of that material Pastor Steve talked about? I just want to do some study on uh, a relationship with God. And they can just hand that to you. You don't even have to stay back there and talk. Or maybe you're here and you just want to spend some time praying this morning. I encourage you to go back to the prayer room following our service. Father, we thank you for your word that you did not leave us without direction, without encouragement. And you actually help us see how we are to live. That being your followers, being those who have been made right with you through faith in Jesus, we have a higher calling. We have a calling to demonstrate the gospel, to demonstrate Jesus. And we're thankful for the reminder today that one way we do that is by always speaking truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.